Hey, so if we are honest, often life as a teenager kind of feels like that. I did youth ministry a long time. I was a teenager at one point. I mean, it was a long time ago, as this lack of hair will indicate. But, uh, hey, as a... it, it is, it is, it's life, life as a teenager often feels like that. It feels like you have a lot that you're trying to juggle. So you've got a lot that you're messing with, a lot that you're having to deal with. You've got school. Some of you have university. You have friendships. You have sports. You have relationships. I mean, you have a lot that you as a teenager are trying to juggle. And here's the deal. It's never been harder to be a teenager, okay? All the old people in the room are going to tell you that when they were teenagers, it was so hard right? We'll tell you like when we went to school, we had to walk all the way and it was uphill both ways and it was snowy, which do y'all know what snow is? You want me to explain snow to you here in Enniscorthy? I mean, I'm from Texas, so we don't ever see it either. So somebody told me it's like stuff that falls. Y'all got snow last April? In April? Your weather is broke. Uh, so, so everyone's broke. But it has never been more difficult to be a teenager than it is right now. See, you have more that's pulling at you. You have more that requires you than we ever did. I didn't, and this is going to make me sound like a grandpa, I didn't have a cell phone growing up, okay? Did not, right? There was a time in life I didn't have a computer that had the internet, okay? (laughs) Right? Okay, so you have grown up in a time where it has never been more hard, it's never been more difficult than it is right now to be a teenager. There is stuff that pulls at you and takes your time all the time, way more than it ever has been before. And so often, if we're honest, life as a teenager feels like that game. Like you're trying to, you've got like school over here and you're trying to make sure you get all your school done and and then you've got your boyfriend or girlfriend and they're over here and you're trying to make sure you can make sure you spend time with them, take care. You got your parents that are telling you to do a bunch of crap that you don't want to do and you've got all the different things that you're trying to juggle and all the different things that you're trying to keep up in the air and make sure that you don't drop anything. It's a hard time to be a teenager and it it has been for most of what your life has been. It's difficult. There is a lot that you feel like as a teenager you're having to juggle. And the hard part is knowing what you can drop. So in that game, right, you can't drop anything. One balloon hits the ground and you lose. And in in life, there's always stuff that's hitting the ground. A few years ago, I got the chance to go see something called Cirque du Soleil. Does anyone know what that is? Okay. It's awesome. Okay. I'm pretty ADD. Like I've got a lot that goes through my brain at any given point in time. And so it's the best thing for me. At one point, there's like a guy and he is riding a bicycle on a high wire, 20 feet off the ground, blindfolded, okay? I couldn't walk across the high wire, just regular eyes open. He's doing it blindfolded all the way across the ground. There's the next time, so they have, it was in a tent, and they had these three big poles. There was these guys that were standing up about 25 feet off the ground, and they would, I'm gonna get up here so you can see. So they would have these girls in their hands, they would swing them through their legs, and they would throw them from pole to pole. Like, probably 20 feet, these girls would do two flips, they would catch them, they would throw them back. I mean, if these girls fall, they are dead. There is no living from that fall. And so that is the craziness that's going on in this show, and then all of a sudden, this guy walks out, all by himself. And I was like, this is about to be cool. And he pulls out three tennis balls, and then I'm like, that guy's a loser, right? He's the untalented one. They're about to do something cool, and so they're going to shove this guy out there. So he starts to juggle three tennis balls. Can anyone here juggle? No? You can juggle two? That's just kind of throwing things up in the air, back and forth. I can do that. Uh, 
So he's juggling. He's juggling three tennis balls, just juggling one after the other. And I'm like, man, I just saw a guy throw a woman 30 feet in the air, and you're juggling three tennis balls. And then somebody else comes out, and it's another guy. He's got a big old bag with him. And I'm like, I mean, I, I've seen juggling before. It tends to be a one-person deal. Here's this second guy, and he reaches into his bag, and he pulls out a few more tennis balls. So this guy's juggling the three tennis balls, and he tosses, the three, he tosses him three more tennis balls. So now you've got this guy, and he's standing on stage in front of, I don't know, a thousand people, and he's juggling six tennis balls, which is fine, it's neat, but it, you know, not that cool. And then the guy reaches back into his bag and he grabs a basketball. Like, okay, that's a little neat. That's, that's at least cooler than another tennis ball. So he throws in the tennis ball. I mean, he throws in the basketball. So now he's got six tennis balls and a basketball and he's just throwing them all up in the air. And then the guy reaches back into his bag and he pulls out a machete. Okay, now we're talking, right? <laughs> this is what I came for. So the guy's juggling six tennis balls, he got a basketball, and then the guy throws a machete at him. So he has to catch the machete and then he starts to juggle it. It's like, okay, this is cool. Then he reaches back into his bag, and at this point, I'm convinced that the second guy wants the first guy dead, right? He hates him, because what he does is he reaches into his bag, and he pulls out a chainsaw, and he looks at the crowd, and the crowd obviously all hates the first guy, too, because we're like, throw it at him! So he starts the chainsaw, and he throws it at the guy. So now the guy's got six tennis balls, he's got a basketball, he's got a machete, and now he has a running chainsaw, and he's just sitting there juggling them all. And so, they, I mean, it feels like they, there's nothing. What is he going to, he's going to throw a car at him next. Like, that's the only thing that could be more cool than what's happened so far. Then he pulls out a bowling pin. We're like, dude, you got the order wrong. You go tennis ball, bowling pin, basketball, machete, and then you end with a chainsaw, not bowling pin. What a letdown. And he looks at the crowd, and then he pulls out a match, and he lights it on his, his pants, and he lights this bowling pin on fire. See, it was a torch, not a bowling pin. It just looked like a bowling pin. So now he's got this torch that he's going, and he throws it at him. And so now you've got this guy, and all he's doing, he's juggling, a he's juggling six tennis balls, he's juggling a basketball, he's juggling a machete, a running chainsaw, and now a torch. And he is just juggling them like a champ. And what I love so much is how this guy had to think the whole time. He would throw something up, and he'd go, all right, is this something I can drop? Right? Tennis ball, always yes, right? Nobody cares if that tennis ball falls. Hit him right on the forehead, no big deal. Basketball, it would hurt a little more, right? I mean, if he's looking up and that basketball hits him square on the nose, as somebody who was unathletic and played basketball, I can tell you it felt bad, okay? But then he has to then think every time, okay, chainsaw, I got to drop everything and make sure I catch the chainsaw, except I also have to make sure that I catch the torch because if I miss that, I could light on fire, right? And all he does this whole time is he's having to choose what that he's going to catch and what that he's going to drop. And he drops a few tennis balls along the way. He never dropped the chainsaw. That would be memorable. <laughs> never dropped the machete. Never dropped the torch. He kept all the things that were the things that he needed to catch. Every single thing. And see, as young people, Honestly, where your generation struggles more than any other generation is you don't know the things that you should catch and the things that it's okay to let fall. We don't catch the big stuff. What we do is we let the, bit, the small things become the big things and we act like they matter and then we let the big things actually fall. And that is where if this generation has an issue, it's where if teenagers right now get this feeling of constantly feeling overwhelmed, constantly feeling anxious, it is because of that. 
because your life has so many things telling you it needs your time. You have friends that are telling you they need your time. You have social media telling you that it needs your time. You have boyfriends or girlfriends telling you that they need your time. You have parents telling you that they need your time. You have sports telling you that it needs your time. And you have so many different things that are telling you, hey, uh, you need me. You need me in your life. And we struggle and we begin to feel overwhelmed. And here's the deal. You will spend a lifetime overwhelmed if you don't figure out how to handle all the expectations that are going to be tossed at you. See, if we don't learn how to handle the expectations in your life, it will crush you. Just like if you dropped that, that chainsaw and it hit you in the head, you would remember it. If you don't learn in your life now as a young person how to deal with the things that are expected of you, if you don't learn what it looks like to navigate all those and catch the things that matter and drop the things that don't, what will end up happening is they will end up crushing you. Did you know there was a study done this spring of, Emma, how many people are in here? Where are you at? 52? Okay. Y'all give me five seconds. Got an otter box. It's all right. I've got to do math, and I'm not doing it in my head. Okay. There was a study done this spring on teenagers, and how many of them, they asked them this one question, how many of you feel like suicide, depression, and anxiety are major points of your life or your friend's life? Okay. They asked a bunch of them. Here's how many they said. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. I'm going to point at you because I'm going to have to count in my head, and there's no way I'm going to be able to say stand up and do that at the same time. So if I point at you, stand up. Let's go over here. Stand up. All you got to do is stand up, nothing else. Stand up. Stand up. Now look around. You really can't see anyone sitting down, correct? Right? There are 36 of you standing up. Out of 52, Emma, you said? 36 are standing up. You know what that number is? 70%. Look around. If this doesn't scare the crap out of you, if this doesn't scare you a little bit about your generation, it should. 70% say that suicide, depression, and anxiety are major points of their life and their friend's life. Look around the room. The vast majority of everyone is standing up. Now sit down. 70% of teenagers right now say that anxiety, depression, and suicide are major points of their life. And we laugh about it. That sucks. It's not funny. We see teenagers committing suicide in ways and in times that we have never seen before. It is shocking the amount of teenagers that are cutting, that are hurting themselves, that are walking in depression and anxiety. It is in 70% of teenagers say that anxiety and depression is a major point of their life and of their friend's life. And the reason is, is because we don't know how to juggle all the things that are pulling at our time and we begin to feel overwhelmed and we begin to feel anxious. Here's my challenge to you today. You do not have to be another statistic. You, not the person next to you who cares about them. Let them care about them. I'm talking to you. You don't have to be another, you do not have to be one of the 70. 
You do not have to be another statistic that feels like anxiety and depression is a major point of your life. It is not the thing that you have to have. You don't have to be another statistic. So we're going to talk about something that Jesus said. It's a story. I'm going to throw it on the scripture. It's a parable that Jesus tells, which is just a story to try to get us to understand something. I want us, we did it last night. I want us to read it together because we remember it better if we say it out loud. Okay, let's do this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So it says this at the very beginning. Therefore, do not be anxious. Here's another word for it. Do not worry. We, the anxious, we see that word and we think it might look this one specific way. You can put whatever word that matters to you. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. Do not feel depressed. Do not feel overwhelmed. Jesus in that scripture says, listen, you don't have to feel that way. Do not be anxious. Do not feel overwhelmed. Do not feel like you have to worry about everything. Do not feel like you have to have everything under control. Do not feel anxious. And honestly, when we read that, there's a part of us that's a little annoyed with God. Did you know that that's okay? It's okay to be annoyed with God sometimes. It's okay to be angry at God. We see people in Scripture angry at God. What Scripture says is, in your anger, don't sin. But we see people mad at God. There's lots of times I've been mad at God because he's done something that I don't understand, nor will I ever understand, and I can feel kind of frustrated. And then go to him and go, hey, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm pretty angry at what's going on. He says, don't be anxious. And we're like, Jesus, homie, you, you grew up in a time where there was no Snapchat, right? I mean, you didn't go to school like we have school. Jesus didn't play hurling. That'd be pretty cool if he did. He could walk on water and think how good he'd be with a hurl. Like, I mean, <laughs> probably good. Like, Jesus, it's easy for you to look at the, the people you were talking to when you were saying those things and say, don't be anxious. It's, it's easy for you to do that. You don't even know what it's like for me to live my life now. You don't know what it's like to be a teenager in 2019. You don't know. See, but there's something in these verses that's easy for us to miss. So we're going to read this one again. I'll just read it to you. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, here's what Jesus is doing. When he's saying this, he's trying to paint the biggest picture he can. Don't be anxious about what you wear. Don't be anxious about what you eat. Don't be anxious about what you drink. He's saying everything about your life. Don't be anxious. He's not going to sit there and give us a list. Don't be anxious about this friendship. Don't be anxious about this situation. Don't be anxious about He's just saying, hey, the totality of your life, don't be anxious. And then he says, for the Gentiles seek after these things. Here's what that says. For all the people that, that don't follow God, all the people that aren't going to church, all the people that have ever lived, everyone seeks after those things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He says, your heavenly Father. Scripture says, calls God Father a lot of times. And if we're honest, we kind of wrestle with that. It's weird to hear God as a father. We think of God, and here's what we think. We think old man, like y'all saw Todd earlier, right? <laughs> we think an older man than Todd, sitting on a throne with a big beard, 
looking down from heaven at all of us little human ants, just looking at what we do and life happening. And that's often how we picture God. So we hear God as a father and we're like, I don't really understand that. And for some of you, you read and your heavenly father knows that you need them all and you know your dad, right? So you hear father and you immediately go, I don't want anything to do with, if God is father, I do not want that. If God is a father, my, you should hear the things my father has said to me. If father is how God is, and I know how he treated me. I know the things that he did to me. If God is father, I do not want that. And some of you have great dads. I got a great dad who was a great dad for as long as I can remember. And some of us, we read God as father, and it's like, I, I, just, yeah, I guess I kind of get it. Imagine this, though. When it says your heavenly father, everything God did is perfect. There's nothing that he did that was not perfect. So imagine a perfect father. When it says your heavenly father, say my Say, my, my heavenly father. So when it says your heavenly father, imagine a perfect father that every single time you needed him, he was there. Every time you needed him to tell you he was proud of you, he did. Every time you needed him to be there when you were sad and just give you a hug and, and just love on you, he did that. Every time he needed, you needed him to be strong because you were kind of feeling weak and overwhelmed, that's what he did. Imagine a perfect father that every time you needed anything before you even knew what you needed, he knew it and he tried to meet that need. When it says your heavenly father, it's talking about a perfect father for you. You, a perfect father for you. That's what it means when it says your heavenly father knows you need them all. And what it tells us in this whole verse in Matthew 6, what it's telling us is that God knows that you have concerns. He knows that you have things in your life that overwhelm you. He knows that there are going to be times that you're going to be anxious. There's going to be times that you're going to be overwhelmed. There are going to be times that you feel like you can't handle it all. And what it says all in those verses is he knows that. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. And he says, you don't have to stay in that place that all that expectation overwhelms you and you become a statistic, that you become one of the 70%. He says, it doesn't have to be that way. And it's tied to this verse. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father, there it is again, feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Can we be honest for a second? Birds are the worst, Okay. Birds are gross, and they poop everywhere, and they just are annoying, and they fly. In Abilene, there's a time of year that all these ugly black birds swarm on our mall, and you walk out of the mall, and you open the door, and it's like a thousand birds are just flying over you, just waiting to torpedo you with their poop. Just, you're just waiting for it to happen. Like, birds are just generally useless. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. I agreed. They're the worst. This is Jesus agreeing with me. Birds are stupid. Agreed, Jesus. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. See, what it says there is that as stupid as birds are, and they are endlessly stupid, as stupid as they are, the heavenly Father still meets their needs. Think of how insane that is. This useless, annoying creature. The birds of the air, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, they contribute nothing to anything ever, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? That is the issue. 
that we often face when we come to God as Father. We wrestle with, are you not of more value than they? And if we're honest, most of us would say no. Right? I mean, you won't say it now. But if you were honest with yourself, because that's who you should be honest with, we would answer to that question that Jesus asks, no. And guys, let me talk to you for a second. Girls, you can just sit there. We're bad at this. We're bad at even answering this question. Are you not of more value than they? We struggle with this because we struggle being honest about ourselves, and we mask it by acting like we are the stuff, like acting like we are awesome and we got everything put together, like everybody likes us and we want to be fun and we want to make everyone laugh, and we just avoid any like level of vulnerability. Like we avoid anything that might mean me saying, no, I don't really like things about myself. Like us saying, no, I, I, I just, there's parts of me that doesn't feel like I'm worth anything. And guys, we do this all the time and we act like he just, we're awesome. And on the inside, we're overwhelmed and we're anxious and we're one of the 70% just like everybody else. And there will come a point that you decide that you stop trying to be the tough guy and you decide you want to be the healthy guy. That you don't care anymore about being tough and you just want the insides of you right. And hopefully my prayer for you, my prayer for all teenagers that I get a chance to talk to, is that you figure that out earlier than later. The longer you go trying to deal with acting like you are the stuff, the harder it is to actually deal with the mess that is inside of you. And we all have mess inside. If you are breathing in this room, you got mess inside of you that you got to deal with. And that mess causes us to feel overwhelmed. That mess causes us to feel anxious. And we have to get to the place that we can answer this question, are you not of more value than they? Because here's the deal. You don't dictate your value to God. He does. You don't get to say what you are worth. You don't get to say, well, this part of me is good and this part of me is not. Like, I, I like the part of me that plays sports, but the part of me that can talk to girls, not so good. Or I, I like that this part of me, this, I, I'm good at school, but the rest of me, I feel real lonely. Like, you don't get to look at God and say, hey, you, God, who made me, this is what I am worth to you. Because he showed you what you are worth when he sent Jesus. And what that says is that you're worth infinitely more than you could ever possibly imagine. You do not get to dictate your value to God. He dictates it to you. See, my daughters, I have two daughters. They're eight and five. I'll show you a picture of them in a second. Eight and six. She had a birthday the day before we left. They don't get to look at me and say, Dad, you don't love me. They don't. I'm their dad. I tell them if I love them. I tell them if I'm proud of them. What? Did I squeak? I hit puberty. Uh, still levels of insecurity that I have to deal with. <laughs> My daughters don't get to tell me what I think about them. I tell them what I think about them. You don't get to look at God who made you and tell him, this is what you think about me. Because he's going to look at you and go, nope. That is not what I think about you. What I think about you is that I love you so much that I sent Jesus so that you could live. What I think about you is you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that he doesn't make junk. What he thinks about you is you should, he wants you to have freedom. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to not feel like you're juggling everything. That's what he says he thinks about you. Nobody cares what you think he says about you. Doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what he says about you. 
And what he says about you is you are more valuable and more loved than you can ever imagine. So lay aside all the other crap that you think about yourself and know that what Matthew 6 says is that you are more valuable than you could ever possibly imagine. And he loves you and what he wants is you to not feel anxious. And for some of you, you have to get to the place that you're okay with God loving you. Like, you have to get to the place that you're okay with him being proud of you. But you're like, yeah, God, you don't know me. (laughs) He's God. He does. And you've got to get to the place that you're okay with him being proud of you and him loving you and him wanting you to have life. You got to be okay. You got to get to the place that you're okay with him wanting you to have a life of peace and not a life filled with chaos and anxiety. So the question is how? And I'm almost done. It says this. Let's read it together. But seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So it says, if we're going to live a life without anxiety, first, we got to go to the Father. And we do that by seeking first the kingdom of God, not second. Here's how we want to do church, okay? We want to do church or faith or following God, however you want to say it. We want to like put it on our list of stuff that we have to do, right? We've got school and we've got sports and we've got friendships. And then we will toss God in in the middle of that somewhere. When we have time, when we can fit it into our busy university schedule, we will pencil God in, but we're going to make sure it's in a pencil in case something comes up and we need to erase it and put God in a different time slot. And so we like to just put God as a part of our life. And what this says, this is Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. But what he had said earlier is, don't worry about what you'll eat. Don't worry about what you'll drink. Don't worry about what you'll wear. Don't worry about anything at all in your life. Because the heavenly father has it all. And we begin to get, receive all that he has when we seek first his kingdom. And then all these things will be added to you. So the answer to how you begin to fight against the anxiety that's overwhelming 70% of teenagers, the answer for how you can live a life not filled with being overwhelmed and being depressed is to go to the Father. So I told you I'd show you a picture of my daughters. That's them. <laughs> Look at Ellie. That's my little one. She just turned six. She's insane. When my daughters come to me, they'll go, Dad, I had a bad dream. I'm scared. You know what I don't do? sorry, deal with it. Hey, if we're honest, that's how we think God treats us. We think that we go to God and we're like, God, I'm overwhelmed. And he's like, well, get it together, you idiot. We, go to, we, we feel scared to go to God and go, hey, God, that girl said something to me and it really hurt my feelings and, and I'm hurting inside. And we think God's going to go, hey, I sent my son. How much more do you want from me? But when Berkeley comes home from school and she says, hey, one of my friends was mean to me and she's about to cry, you know what I don't go? Sorry, figure it out. See, our view of God is often that he just expects us to get everything taken care of and then come to him when what God wants is in the middle of whatever junk is in your life, whatever overwhelmed, whatever depressed, whatever anxious, whatever sadness, whatever worry, whatever you got going on, he wants you to come to him with it and all your brokenness and all your messed up junk. He wants you to come to him and go, this is what I feel. I don't know what to do with it. Because then he's a good dad. Remember, the perfect father. And then he'll grab it and he'll go, oh, you're worried? Man, let me help. You're sad? I, I got you. 
You don't feel like you can handle what's going on? Man, I am there. And what we have to do is go to the Father. See, the answer to overcoming worry and anxiousness is to rest in the heart of a perfect Father who has taken care of and wants to meet our needs. You want to not be a statistic? You want to not be one of the 70% standing up, the 36 kids out of 52 in this room? The answer is knowing that you have a father that wants you to not stay in that place. Knowing that you have a father that wants you to come to him with your worry, with your anxiety, with your overwhelmed, with your sadness, with your loneliness, with whatever thing you could possibly throw his way. He wants you to come to him with that. And he is a perfect father who will then grab your mess, love you in the middle of it, and want you to be better. Because that's what a good dad does. And I'm a messed up dad, and I got lots of sin in my life. But when my girls are hurting, I'm there. When they're worried, and they get worried at eight, I'm there. When they need somebody to hug them, I'm there. When they need somebody to celebrate with them, I'm there. Because that's what a good dad does. And what scripture says all over is that you have a father that wants you to turn to him with your worry and anxiety, that wants you to turn to him with the places of you that feels overwhelmed, that wants you to turn to him and he just wants to love you.